Hey everyone, and welcome to the Forefront Podcast. We are a community of pioneers exploring and building at the forefront of the Web3 playground. We've dug through the noise and surfaced the signal on the state of the art of tokenized communities in the internet native economy. Enjoy this bi-weekly roundup of the latest and greatest in social tokens, DAOs, and more. Hello, hello, fam, and welcome to another episode of the Forefront Podcast Bi-Weekly Roundup. My name is Caroline. I am your host, joined by my co-host, Alex. Alex, how are you? I'm doing well. Good to be back. Yes, good to be back. Looking at the Thanksgiving holiday, we have quite a few interesting developments in the social token space to get to. So let's hop right into it. The first thing that we want to talk about, new tooling or new product. So Hyper Vibes, this is a new protocol that has been built out at Rarible DAO. Really excited to talk to you all about this, especially if you are big fans of NFTs in general. Uh, But first, a little bit of background. What is the Rarible DAO? So TLDR, Rarible launched at the beginning of 2020, and it's now one of the premier NFT marketplaces alongside OpenSea. So in July of last year, Rarible announced its plan to shift towards becoming a fully decentralized autonomous organization. It launched its own governance token, Rary, and this was the first governance token ever in the NFT space. So throughout the first half of 2021, the Rarible team was building out this Rarible protocol, essentially an open source cross-chain community-owned NFT protocol. So now the team is in the phase of transitioning from being a single project, Rarible, to a more complex ecosystem of projects that are building on the same protocol and governed by a DAO. So I know we spoke about Rally in previous episodes, Alex. This is very similar to how Rally itself has separated into an ecosystem of separate but interdependent projects working on the same protocol. So I loved, I saw, I dug up a a June 2021 Medium article, and I loved how forthright the Rarible team was about this entire process of transitioning from being a single project into a more complex ecosystem. And they wrote, quote, what this means is not entirely clear yet and will depend on the wishes of Rary token holders, as well as key contributors to Rarible DAO who are in the weeds designing this future. So love the honesty. I love how they're saying this is completely emergent and up to the token holders. So this is a creative team. This is the DAO behind this HyperVibes protocol that recently launched. And I just want to call out before we get into the nitty gritty of what it is, what does it do? What are the use cases? This is a really incredible exemplar, Alex, of the ethos of open source decentralization. I mean, this Rarible DAO built HyperVibes as a global public good. They wanted to enrich the broader NFT ecosystem, encourage experimentation, and foster creative innovation. So on the website, it checks all the open source boxes. You know, HyperVibes describes itself as massively multiplayer, public infrastructure, unstoppable, sensor-proof, multi-chain, 100% free forever. And you can use HyperVibes in any way that you want. It's not tied down to the Rarible Exchange Protocol or Rarible.com. And the democratization of this platform is next level, Alex. You can use HyperVibes with any ERC-721 NFT any ERC-20 token, and you don't have to write any code. You don't have to deploy a single smart contract. All you have to do is use the HyperVibes DAP to manage realms, infuse NFTs, and claim tokens. So what does the protocol do? Basically, it lets anyone 
insert or infuse is the term fungible tokens into any nft from any minting platform so these tokens can be claimed by the nft holder after being mined after being mined by the nft over a certain period of time so infusion is just the act of taking tokens from your wallet and staking them inside of an nft so i had to kind of pour through the hypervibes documentation to really understand the landscape better i looked at the website first it was a fantastic looking website but honestly i really didn't understand what was going on until i looked through the hypervibes documentation so the first key concept to understand here is realms anyone can use this protocol to create a realm and a realm is essentially a fully configurable and isolated environment within the hypervibes protocol so this is an incredible advance alex as i said earlier for democratizing the space inclusivity you can create a fully isolated and independently configured realm within the hypervibes protocol to run your own nft experiments or protocols without having to deploy any smart contract the second key concept to understand is provenance mining so provenance mining alex is the core mechanism at the heart of hypervibes and we really have to dig into this because i'm going to try to weave in what provenance mining is doing with with what i think are like some other sort of shifts in the wind that are happening right now in web3 and daos so provenance mining is exactly as it sounds it is mining it is token mining that is triggered by and attached to ownership of a something and this something in this case is an nft it's a mechanism that allows erc20 tokens to be infused inside of any erc721 nft and the infused tokens are mined over time based on the independent realm configuration and only the owner of that nft can claim the currently mined tokens to their wallet if the nft is sold or transferred to another owner the unclaimed tokens stay within the nft and of course the nft would be more valuable if it had unclaimed tokens so provenance mining essentially tokenizes the act of holding an nft over time the background on this i want to go into this alex cuz i think it's super interesting this provenance mining mechanism was actually originated by the vibes art curation protocol on the polygon chain Hypervibes actually describes itself as just a generalized public version of this originary vibes art curation protocol. So it was mm. when I began digging into this predecessor, Alex, that I began to understand more about the potential for hypervibes. So the predecessor vibes art curation protocol is a decentralized digital art collective. The focus here is on decentralized art curation. So Vibes is meant to strike this balance between on the one hand completely open minting platforms like OpenSea where no one is excluded from minting and exhibiting but discoverability and quality are really tough and on the other hand centralized curated platforms like Foundation which have higher quality but of course are exclusionary. So with the Vibes Collective Alex curators decide what art belongs in the Vibes Collective and they do this by infusing any NFTs they own with Vibes which is a ERC20 token. When they do this, they curate the NFT into the network. But this is the heart of the matter, and I think you'll really love this, the economist hat. You'll put on your yes. economist hat. Through this design, Alex, a circular token economy is created. So the vibes from the curated art are infused into the NFTs 
Collectors who buy and hold, that's the key thing, who buy and hold that NFT art, then get to receive and pull those tokens into their own wallet. They then have the vibes to shape the future direction of the curated network by curating the artworks they want to see. So in other words, this is the thing that I really want to try to wrap our heads around. It's those who continuously support the current artists in the collective, those are the ones that get a commensurate say in the future direction of the protocol. And it's this focus on continuous or sustained action mm-hmm. or support that's the crux. This reminds me of the radical NFT funding model that you and I covered a few pods mm-hmm. ago, Alex. As you remember, uh, Radical is like a decentralized GitHub. They had an NFT funding model. They allowed folks who wanted to support an open source project to purchase a community NFT, but it wasn't just as a one-time set it and forget it. Instead, the NFT was a container for tokens. It's the same structure that we see in Hypervibes, except the flow of tokens is going in the opposite direction. And this container has to be infused monthly by the NFT holder with a sufficient amount of tokens to support the open source project. If their infusions stop, then the access and the privileges that the NFT gives to the holder also stops. So I'm beginning to see this core idea surface in Web3, Alex, the idea that our that, that buying, wanting to support an open source community, wanting to support any sort of community, your obligations continue in time. You know, that there, there really are these sort of tokenomics now that are saying we need mutual, continual, and sustained commitment. So this is essentially the hypervibes, the heart of the hypervibes uh, protocol built by Rarible DAO. So now that we understand a bit more about this provenance mining mechanism, I want to talk about the use cases. And I, I want to kind of go over each one with the fam out there. And then Alex and I will riff on what we think these use cases could possibly look like. But I'm pulling these straight from the documentation. And I think we're just scratching the surface of what this can do. So the first thing is curation. We just gave a very detailed example of what this would look like by looking at the predecessor, the Vibes Art Curation Protocol. A second use case is token distribution. So provenance mining offers an innovative approach to this. You're no longer just letting in personal laws of the market, supply and demand decide, but now it's the artist themselves who is deciding how network ownership equity is going to be distributed through this NFT infusion mechanism. This means any artist, any individual with tokens can turn any NFTs into a portal that streams their social token to collectors and supporters that are continuously holding on to their NFT. Question for me is not clear how granular the streaming can be. For instance, is it just a simple linear time release mechanism with X amount of the total infused tokens being mined to the owner at such and such point of time? That wasn't clear to me. Um, Another sort of really cool feature, and then I'll hand it over to Alex to kind of jam what he sees this token distribution use case, But another really cool feature called out by the Hypervibes team is that if public infusion is allowed, uh, and this is, of course, all up to the configuration, the realm that is configured, the social token can then be re-infused in new NFTs after being originally mined by a community member. So again, (laughs) this is creating a circular economy. It's creating a completely decentralized and community-run network of token streaming portals. So I'm going to pause right there. We have other use cases to go into but I've shared a lot. And I want to know, Alex, what are you thinking? What are you thinking about this use case? Well, in in terms of use cases, what I do love the approach that they took is just being very open and saying, 
we don't necessarily know where this could go. We're open to the community directing us. And I think that is such an important ethos in this space where it's you're building infrastructure that's open enough for people to take it in a bunch of different directions if they want to, and not coming in hard-headed from the beginning and saying, this is what this is for, and kind of narrowing people's focus on the use case of it. So you get people coming in and kind of MacGyvering their way through it and saying, you know what, what I could do Mm -hmm. with this, I could use this in a totally different way. And that's where the creativity comes through. This is what's awesome about the space is the composability. You build something like this that's open, completely free to use, public Mm -hmm. good. And so much good can come from it when you just leave it kind of open and saying, let's let other people figure out how to actually use this. What, What is the actual utility of infusing NFTs with in this case, ERC-20 tokens. I feel like there's a ton of different use cases people can get really creative with. Um, So I love that Web3 web ethos of keeping it really open and keeping it uh, open for interpretation, rather. Um, One thing that this reminded me of, a a really tight-knit community here, is CyberKongs. So this was an example of an NFT that by holding it over time, you would get a, I believe it was ERC-20, it might've been on Solana, don't quote me on that, um, but I believe it was a, a token called Bananas where over time in rewards for holding on to it, you would get a certain number of Bananas tokens mm. in this case. And that was an incentive to hold on to the NFT and the community grew mm-hmm. through that way. And it ended up being incredibly lucrative for people. Really? So I like this idea of supporting, um, of rewarding people who show continuous support. And I, mm-hmm. I think this is a problem that a lot of uh, protocols that are trying to do airdrops are trying to figure out. Who are the people that we want to reward here? And it's not just mm-hmm. the people going around and farming all of these different protocols that could potentially have a token drop. You don't mm-hmm. want to incentivize that behavior. And you, those people don't have a long-term interest in the network. They're just trying to go from protocol to protocol, use it a little bit, and then farm whatever airdrop. So uh, lots of different... This is a great use case to say, we want to reward the people with, in this case, ERC-20 tokens that have showed continuous support. And this is one mechanism to demonstrate that continuous support. So maybe that's a use case um, is to say, who do we want to give tokens to uh, as, as we're releasing them? Maybe that's a token tokenomics um, strategy here where you're actually releasing the tokens in that way. And and that's the total way that you're releasing it. And from the get-go, it's releasing it to people who hold that NFT for the long run. And you're rewarding Mm -hmm. those people who have showed the continuous support rather than people who are jumping around from protocol to protocol, farming it a little bit, and then benefiting from the airdrop. Um, So it's... I I almost don't even want to go down the rabbit hole in all these different use cases because what's amazing (laughs) about it is letting people keep an open mind about it and saying, I'm going to get creative and come at it from a first principle standpoint. Um, what, What I love about this is this is a great example of expanding away from moving Web 2 things into Web 3. Maybe not even just Web 2 things, right? So NFTs and art. There's a great example of okay, we're going to take something from the real world and we're going to put it on the blockchain. And a lot of people can immediately make sense of that. When Web 2 came around, or maybe in this case, Web 1, people were saying, let's take newspapers and let's put that exactly on online. And the UX was freaking awful. If you look at old web pages, it was just, mm-hmm. it was basically a newspaper layout on a website. Complete, terrible. And what people did over time is they realized, what do people actually need? What do the people actually want? And people don't necessarily know what they want. So people are experimenting mm-hmm. a little bit. And then the, the media sites that we know today are the amalgamation of all of that, all of that work of building off each other. 
And I think this is a great example of the evolution of the idea of NFTs, ERC-20 tokens, and the relationship between them. So it's really interesting to see these projects that are pushing the boundaries forward and how people latch onto it and use that to take it in lots of different directions. I I absolutely love that piece, the composability of Web3 and open source in general, where Mm -hmm. you give someone something open that's open for a lot of interpretation and say, we're not even going to tell you how to use this. Go out there and figure it out. And incredible innovations come about it. And with it being open source, that it's it's a public good. And now people can build off in it. And it's, this is why we're going to see such incredible, insane <laughs> exponential growth here. So another cool project to keep an eye on and see what people use of it. Because um, could be a lot of really good use cases that pop up here and other people can use them and run with it. I want to go into, uh, and I know you said you you were you were very loath to kind of go down the rabbit hole, but I'm I'm so intrigued with <laughs> with the other use cases that that the Hypervibes uh, team actually put out. So I just want to jam on this just a little bit with you. But yeah, let's do it. The, the next thing the next thing that they said was uh, gaming and collectibles. So I know gaming. Alex is going to be totally into this. Oh so yeah, they're saying a use case here: gaming platforms can infuse in-game resources inside of game NFTs that can be mined over time by players, or infuse art, community-created NFTs with an in-game currency as a promotional event. So my mind is being blown right now because I'm already thinking <laughs> like there is like a billion, billion, billion dollar industry of people that are buying and loving the fact that they can buy things like in-skin games and extra power-ups and things like that. So imagine that you have now game NFTs that are being issued with different sorts of additions, super rare, legendary, and common, and the in-game resources inside, whether or not it's extra lives, power-ups, you know, rare Louis Vuitton skins, Um, varies depending on which sort of addition NFT that you have. So just by the mechanics of it, saying that these resources are going to be mined over time based on how long you hold them, I mean, this is insane. This is like an incredibly brilliant way to build up an incredible amount of of demand and also tamp down supply because everyone's holding on to their NFTs to get these really precious in-game resources. I mean, what what are you thinking? You're you're the gaming maestro. Where 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 does your mind go with this? Well, I think there's a whole separate... uh hurdle to get over in the gaming community. Coming from that and coming from traditional circles, I'm going to do a quick aside here because I think it's relevant to the overall adoption in gaming in general. Um, A lot of gamers have a a little bit of a feeling of animosity towards crypto in general, especially for proof Mm -hmm. of work because it's so GPU intensive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. At least I come from the PC gaming world. People are just pissed off that GPUs are so expensive and it's hard to get them. You know, now it's for the the recent releases, it's $1,400. Where in the past, you could get them for three to 500. And it's almost impossible to get your hands on them. So there's some general animosity of saying, oh, crypto miners are destroying our ability to get GPUs. So we just want to play games on. So there's a a cultural hurdle (laughs) to overcome there. Mm -hmm. And then it's when you see large companies like Activision, um, I, I know Activision went into it. U- Ubisoft as well, I believe, is showing favorability towards NFTs. Same thing with Discord. People are getting a little bit anxious when they see companies like that that have demonstrated, again, the traditional Web2 extractive type of thinking. And they're like, oh, I see this as another cash cow for us. Yes, we support NFTs. And now it immediately gives it a, a bad name. So part of what's going to be interesting about this project and introducing uh, this capability to infuse ERC-20 tokens into NFTs is to take, I think a value here is to come at it from such a different approach that you get people to rethink their expectations of what NFTs are. 
Like, what are mm-hmm. the actual use cases here? And it's not like, oh, we're just taking in-game items and they're on the blockchain now. You have almost have to completely destroy that paradigm for them to disassociate it from these other companies that have traditionally screwed them over. And there's a lot of animosity towards those companies. So I love seeing projects like this that are taking a completely different approach and a very Web3 native approach. Because same thing like Meta with Facebook, that might give the metaverse a bad name. You have to com- have to give a completely different paradigm to these people to see that actually there's a totally different way to approach this problem aside from, oh, it's just another cash cow for these larger companies. How can you benefit? How, can, how is this a benefit to you? And how is this avoid play to win? How does it better the game experience rather than dilute it and turn it into just a purely financial thing? There's a lot of that education that comes by. So I want to see uh, the gaming use cases. It, part of that is going to be the education here and saying, how is this going to be a better experience for you rather than how can you just financially benefit and how can the companies you're working with actually financially benefit from this? That's, you're going to miss the audience. Yes. And I'm also thinking as you're, as you're speaking, I mean, there, there's a lot of things that we do right now that are financially aggravate us, right? I mean, everyone mm-hmm. keeps talking about Ethereum and the gas fees, but we're still, we're still using Ethereum. Um, and in fact, we're still using the basic uh, L1 technology, even though there are other sort of L2 uh, applications and technologies out there that help with the gas fees. So it, we are very slow to change and we still use the things that are desirable to us, even though we, it may completely financially aggravate us. But the other thing that, that goes along with what you said is that there's a continuous, like a new generation of gamers coming in, right? And this sort of, this sort of um, aggravation about the, uh, about the, the financial costs of equipment going up because what's been happening with the crypto miners may not be as present or may not be as compelling yeah, to the younger generation. Point. So mm-hmm. the, the the space is always evolving. So, but granted, that was I always love to go to you for insights on 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 gamers because I always get something <laughs> really interesting out of it. Thank you. I've been there and I'm still there. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, the next thing that I want to touch on very quickly is I think this is very interesting use case, Alex. Uh, this is a solution to NFT illiquidity. So. The biggest problem of being lucky enough to hold a blue chip NFT is that you have to sell off the NFT to realize its value, right? Yes. It sounds very common sense, but it's not. It's it's difficult. When NFTs come with community membership, that's a really tough trade to make. The NFT comes to have sentimental value, community value, relationship value. Like, I can't tell you how many tweets I've seen from Bored Ape owners who are torn over selling their NFT, even though it would be life-changing money because they do not want to leave this community. So theoretically, NFTs that are infused with tokens is a claim for solving this dilemma because now collectors can sell, trade, or pool the more flexible mined fungible tokens while holding on to the underlying NFT. The question for me is, what kind of market will we see for mined ERC-20 tokens of a very popular NFT? For instance, if the Board Ape team infused all the Ape NFTs with a new social token, in what circumstances would these tokens have value? You might see the Board Ape team doing IRL events like uh, like Friends with Benefits. You might have see them having different tiers of access to parties with the NFT ownership itself having the highest rung of access and exclusivity. It's like the VIP section of a nightclub, so to speak. And then you have like XYZ number of tokens, ERC-20 tokens, giving progressively less exclusive access. So one might never be in a position to afford a Bored Ape NFT, but one could theoretically afford to trade in the tokens that are being mined from these NFTs mm-hmm. for lower level access to experiences. Um, so 
that that is an interesting use case. Uh, another one that the Hypervibes team brought up is that a syndicate of related or friendly 10K NFT projects could all use the same token infused within their I collective NFTs. Yeah. As a way of creating a larger meta network and community. Jam on this a little bit, Alex, because you seem completely taken with it. I think that is, like you just said, that's an example of adopting the metaverse here. You have mm. outside of its segregated little communities or um, just NFT projects. And like you said, the 10,000 uh, PFPs is a great example where it's like you're part of that 10,000 PFP and you're just, that's, that's one ecosystem. And it's completely siloed and doesn't communicate with any of these other ecosystems. And it's like, how do I pick the right one? How do I pick the right one? Whereas if you start to build out an ecosystem of, just for example, 10,000 PFPs, then you're kind of creating a metaverse within them that is connected through this ERC-20 token that all of those different otherwise separate NFT projects are going to use to connect them between those different universes. I love that. That's that's a great use of, of... practical use of metaverse to increase adoption of otherwise siloed projects. Yes. So I, you know, even though I just want to keep going forever, I'm going to stop myself there because this is, I'm really, am so <laughs> taken with the Hypervibes protocol. And I really encourage uh, our fam out there that's listening to dig into the documentation. This is a brand new launch. And I really literally cannot wait to see what the creators begin to do with this. It just, I don't, honestly, I don't understand 50% of this, but there's a part within me that's like intuiting something and it, this could really be game changing for the NFT space. I think it just really, uh, I, I don't know if uh, two or three episodes ago, we, we mentioned David Phelps article where David was kind of going back and forth on what were what was better, NFTs or social tokens for building community. And he decided that NFTs have always been and will always be best for building community. But I think now the Hypervibes protocol and this, the fact that it democratizes um, these capabilities for, for everyone to use, this is a best way to marry the relative yeah. strengths and weaknesses of NFTs and fungible tokens. I mean, this supercharges community building in a huge way. But like yeah. I said, I'm going to stop there. Okay, yeah, it, stop it could there. be really big. <laughs> and I, again... It, it's up to uh, the builders to really interpret it and yeah, realize exactly. it. So that's what we're interested in seeing. Um, mm-hmm. We'll move on then to DAOs and new tooling and product. So we've covered a few different critical infrastructure uh, projects going on within the DAO space. And there is, I, I mean, uh, Gnosis Zodiac comes to mind as one, Coinbase comes to mind. Uh, we have a, a another new protocol coming out called Wonder, and it's called Wonder the DAO Launch Tool. And this is another great example of DAO native tooling. And anyone who's spent any amount of time in a Discord server knows that that is that, that was not designed <laughs> for for DAOs. I mean, mm-hmm. you've kind of repurpose that to to work for DAOs, and pretty much anyone you talk to there is just it's a huge pain point. So how can we? How can we revamp something like that? Just as an example, Discord is an example. It's one that keeps coming up. So Wonder tries to combine a lot of different things that uh, might live in Web2 native tooling that you could repurpose for DAOs, but now it's it's purpose-built and a single platform with all these things that communicate with each other for things like task management, payment for members, optimizing productivity like analytics, dashboards, things like that for your contributors, and then community engagement to see how um, you know how your contributors are doing through certain profiles uh, and their interaction in public. So it's trying to combine a few different 
critical pieces that DAOs need in order to run. And we heard a few in here. So payment for members, for example, right? We we all know of a, a standalone product for that coordinate seems to be the uh, go-to here in this space. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this compares to coordinate on its own, seeing as coordinate is a great example where it's like it, you interpret it and the value of give the token that you can, you can give through coordinate is kind of up to you to decide, right? They're leaving that open. So it will be really interesting to see how wonder, um, competes with coordinate. And if it's actually, mm-hmm. uh, so, cause sometimes in software, even if the standalone product isn't better than a competitor, if you have it within an integrated platform, that ends up outweighing the the features that you might have gotten from the standalone product. So what's great about this, and similar to uh, to Gnosis Zodiac, the suite of tools that we were talking about before, which Zodiac seems to be more on the back end, where this is more uh, front end and how how your actual DAO members will interact. Um, it's it's interesting to see the collaboration, the communication between these different tools adding uh, increased value than any one of these tools. Even if any one of these tools were created in a silo specifically for DAOs, the actual integration between all three of these ends up adding additional value. So brand, brand new project. We're not necessarily sure on the the details yet, but wonderverse.xyz is their website. You can check them out on Twitter as well. Uh, More details to come on exactly what the task management looks like, how it integrates with things like payment, analytics on your members and then the the um uh like how they interact in public so another project to look out for here in terms of critical infrastructure yeah alex i I actually contacted the uh, wonder team because i was so stoked about this and i was like is there any way that i could see what (laughs) this looks like let's get Um, on the the beta testers list (laughs) right right and they and they said it's still in development but 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 they they did have a community call yesterday so this was sunday november 21st and they shared like the product specs. And so they let me look at the product specs. There are just a couple of things you, you've mentioned. Most of them, you know, we were talking about uh, contributor payment, contri- contribution tracking, task management. Some of the things that we want to call out that our listeners will be familiar with is the centrality of pods to, uh, yes. to wonder. So we spoke about pods. We spoke about, we sung the praises of Orca protocol and the sort of... Um, uh, the the rehumanizing, bringing the Dunbar limit, as Alex said, back yeah. into the communities that are being formed around DAOs. So pods are going to be at the center of Wonder. And in version one, we learn from the product specs that pods are essentially tight-knit teams with configurable rules and resource allocations. They can be formed around a horizontal functionality like engineering or growth, but can really be formed around any sort of outcome like reach 100K users or create a mobile app. In version one, the pod resource allocation is going to be determined by DAO level admins. Um, but later on, they say you'll be able to set up pods specifically for organization-wide resource allocation. A really quick uh, thing that I wanted to just flag because I think it goes with the theme of um, the shift in the winds to really putting the stress on continual, uh, sustained support. Um, so they're going to have a feature for token-gated permissions. Um, they're going to be using Lit protocol. And so with Wonder organizations and pods can now pre-screen potential members through current or historical token holdings. So pods and organizations can now create token membership-gated resources, whether for tasks, documents, meetings, for direct 
members and token holders. So Alex, I wanted to call this out because I really like this idea of being able to screen or gate through either current or historical token holdings. So this again, touches on the importance of continual sustained interests or stakes in a community, which provenance mining addresses. But in terms of like, let's say, let's say forefront right now, we don't really have anything substantive that is token gated at forefront, not yet. But there's always the question of the efficacy of token gating in the first place. Now, its yeah. purpose is yep. to outwardly align token holders long-term with the community, right? But if someone wanted, they could simply buy enough FF tokens to gain access to, like, say, an event, and then immediately sell off the tokens afterward. Um, so, But the ability to gate based on historical token holding solves this loophole. So again, it's it's pivoting to this idea of like, as a member of a community, we have mutual obligations to support one another. And these mechanisms that allow us to look for continual sustained uh, support is super key. And I think it's actually really analogous to this shift toward conviction voting in governance. You know, so now mm-hmm. conviction voting is a mechanism that actually allows community members to signal their preference in terms of what they express continuously sustained throughout time. So I, I really do see, Alex, there's this really important shift that's happening right now. And I, I'm, I'm getting that intuition just digging into the space. And I think it's going to be really important going forward. Yeah, I, I, I love this piece. Again, it's such a good point. Such a good point because everyone's trying to solve that problem for who do we reward and how do we reward them? Yeah, And mm-hmm. it, it's, okay, how do we creatively figure out the people who are most engaged with this community? And engagement a lot of times is very subjective. And when it's subjective, it's very difficult to quantify back into a, a return for them, right? If you're going to synonymize this with being a worker, how, how do you incentivize someone to want to spend uh, a full time with a certain DAO when you can't really even figure out how much they're going to get for a certain amount of work. And right Mm -hmm. now you have um, kind of solutions there where it's like coordinate, right? How do we get people compensated for things that aren't necessarily directly tied to a project, right? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you uh, reward someone for bringing really good ideas to a community call? Things like that, that are intangible. How do we account for those things and actually trans? translate them into financial reward. So a uh, uh, great segue from, um, from the last platform we were talking about where it's like, these are different ways to figure out how do we find and incentivize the people who we want, really want to incentivize and not the people who are just gaming the system. So mm-hmm. interesting to see how Wonder uh, approaches that problem, especially when it comes to payment and the integration between all these different things to, in a way, quantify those things so that you can get more data back to say, here are the people who we want to reward and here are the people who are either maliciously gaming the system or may just not be as engaged. And we we yep. want to be fair and reward the people who are going to stay here for the long run because that's just going to reinforce them to continue to stay. And but we were talking about this before where uh, uh, an impending problem that we're dealing with is uh, attrition from DAO mm-hmm. members as if, if there's unsustainable amount of work that pe- people are doing right now, it, at some point it's going to be people asking themselves, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And if they're they're not really getting compensated fairly for the work they're putting in, uh, there's the impending crash that could happen if we don't have systems like this that fairly reward the community members that DAOs want to reward. Mm-hmm. 
Definitely. Um, let's move on, Alex, to DAO launches. I'm super excited about this. So Dream DAO. Dream DAO is an amazing new initiative. It's at the intersection of social impact and Web3, and it is a creation of Civics Unplugged. So what's the tagline? The Dream DAO is a new intergenerational, global, and interdisciplinary community that invests in the future of the Web3 and social impact ecosystem. We provide diverse Gen Zers around the globe with the training, funding, and community they need to leverage the power of Web3 to secure a brighter future for humanity. So a bit of background on Civics Unplugged or CU. It's a nonpartisan 501c3 social enterprise. Um, They are renowned for their youth fellowship. This is a three-month leadership program empowering Gen Zers around the world Mm. with tools, training, and funding to become civic innovators. So twice a year, the fellowship trains about 500 high school students. Originally, it was just in the U.S., and now they've expanded globally. Digital First program, entirely free, and they do feature in-person events. But in just one year, Alex, the community has deployed over $100,000 directly into fellowship graduates. And these graduates have launched dozens of projects all over the world and have impacted nearly half a million people globally. So what was the impetus for DreamDAO? I dug into their their excellent announcement article. And the impetus is something that I think will be a question that's very near and dear to both of us because I know that we've circled this question repeatedly. And it's a very important question about whether this awesome wealth-creating capacity of Web3 will be funneled in socially fruitful ways. So I'm going to read directly from the announcement article. It's unclear what the legacy of blockchain, cryptocurrency, DAOs, and the extraordinary wealth they have generated will be by 2030. Will the Web3 space be known for having supercharged humanity's ability to address our greatest challenges? Or will Web3 be known for having largely neglected real-world problems and drastically steepened socioeconomic divides during this make-or-break decade? In order for the Web3 space to realize its potential to build a better world, a lot more must be done to cultivate the Web3 and social impact ecosystem so that young civic innovators who seek to leverage Web3 get the support and the community they need to build a brighter future for humanity. So that is absolutely beautiful. I resonate so deeply with that. I reached out to the Civics Unplugged co-founder and COO, Gary Shing, an amazing person, and he uh, afforded some updates on where the project is currently. So Skywalker's NFTs were launched November 1st to bootstrap the Dream Down. And this was an NFT collection that was co-designed by Civics Unplugged's Gen Z community. And each Skywalker Z NFT uh, represents a stake in the Dream DAO, whose members will collectively manage a philanthropic fund to invest directly in the world's most promising Gen Z civic leaders. A Skywalker is required to join the Dream DAO as a member. And this is the really cool part, Alex. For every Skywalker's NFT purchased, one NFT is given to an active member of Civics Unplugged's existing Gen Z community as an invite to join the Dream DAO. I think this is a really cool design choice. It ensures that the Dream DAO's investment choices are always going to be grounded in 
and informed by the younger generation's values and insights. This isn't about older generations of mature adults who know better dictating where the fun should go. This is a very clear design choice of for every Skywalker's NFT purchase, another one goes to uh, a younger a member of the younger generation who is already exploring uh, civics leadership. And so it's re- they're really crafting an amazing intergenerational balance of decision-making power. A really cool, interesting breakdown from Gary, who um, uh, on, uh, on exactly who invested in the Genesis Skywalkers. Um, so he said their NFT buyers were 75% plus people who had previously done social impact and philanthropy, but were brand new to NFTs. So, you know, talk about crossing the membrane. And I know Alex will get into that a little bit. It is amazing. amazing. 75%. So these people, Gary said, were primarily attracted to the ability for the NFT to convey membership in the DAO and to help the DAO achieve its mission. So core interest in fundraising. So I'm super interested to see what will come of this 75% plus of investors now that they've inched down the rabbit hole. Will they go back to their social impact yeah. world, largely unchanged, or will they be completely sucked in like us and go tumbling down and have that a primal membrane crossing event. Um, it's it, it's it's mind blowing. It, you know they're really doing something very important here with taking people that are passionate about social impact and change initiatives and guiding them gently to the edge of of Web three. So the Dream DAO is currently in pre operation design phase, with phase one set to begin in December. Uh, Gary shared a bit about the unique challenges about building a community centered launch. So the team has pushed back their phase one start date multiple times, he said, because they want to engage the community and get their input on key decisions at every step. This is critical, Gary said, to actually seeding community authentically, to cultivating consent, to cultivating excitement as the foundation of everything to come. And along the same vein, Gary also shared that nonprofit work comes with many challenging trade-offs, as one might imagine. But one of the key benefits is not having venture investors or even the thought of having to make good on venture capital, right? Pressuring one to ship things in a way that could compromise this trust that you really have to build authentically with the community. Um, As mentioned earlier, you do have to have a Skywalker's NFT to join the Dream DAO. Holders then apply to become a founding voting member. And so FFAM, listening to the podcast, I I encourage your ears to perk up because if you want to get involved, this is an excellent way to get involved. The cohort of founding voting members for the Dream DAO will be around 50 people with half of that being 15 to 20 year olds and the other half being older people committed to supporting the younger cohort as champions. So I think this is so cool. There's a lot of interest in filling these spots, but Gary says it's not too late to reach out to him at Gary Sheng. S-H-E-N-G on Twitter. If you really believe in this mission and you want to get involved, I encourage you to reach out to him. The next big milestone that actually the Dream DAO is building towards, which sounds amazing, is the Dream DAO Explorer program. This is a six-month six learning program for Dream DAO builders to help young people explore Web3 and get to know its potential for impacting, for social impact and social change. So the pilot program begins early 2022 and it will select five to 10 builders and it's going to have two pillars. One, a learning component, 
weekly seminars, team projects, fireside chats, personal development exercises, career development training. And the other pillar is building. This is going to be an internship that gives hands-on experience with building a Web3 social impact project. It's going to culminate in some sort of public learning, whether a written report, a video, a workshop, and also a capstone project that launches something new into the world, whether it's an experimental feature, product, or initiative. Um, but this is the Dream Down Initiative, and I'm so excited about this, Alex. What, what are your thoughts? This is such a cool DAO. <laughs> Man, I, I just can't think of a higher impact way to spend your time mm-hmm. in this space. These are the projects I love so much because they have uh, the potential for insane butterfly effects. So you heard that yes. 75% of the people in the space, um, I forget the exact wording of it, but just weren't as deeply down the rabbit hole in in web three uh and now here's a great avenue to give them money and show them the use cases of the technology so that they can use it to act as a medium to get to the outcomes that they're all working towards and here's a great example of where people might have this aha moment something they want to work towards but in 75 percent of these these cases they didn't necessarily know of a medium in which to make that that vision of reality. And this is what's awesome about this program is it gives people a chance to see, you have this vision, we want to help you with, out with that through this medium that is decentralized, that has uh, the potential for longevity, to live long beyond when you're involved in the project and in a fair and equitable way. It's not centralized. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely love projects like this. Like I'm going to look into this more personally. And we had talked about it, right? This is a great example of getting people past these membranes. This is a great example of doing outbound type of, of work in this space rather than just waiting for people to come to us and get them onboarded into the DAO space. Um, Padawan DAO is another great example where they are doing sponsorship and mentorship of high schoolers and college kids who might not have the money to attend things like blockchain or crypto conferences. Another great example. We're doing outbound, we're going and we're getting people, we're pulling them into this space and we're saying, let's have this, let's have Web3 have an audience in your mind when you're thinking about solving whatever problems you want to solve. And we are very confident that if we get people into this space, that they will stay. And like you mentioned, I'm very interested to see (laughs) what like the, so to speak, churn rate is of people who say, uh, you know what? Mm-hmm. Actually, Web3 isn't a good way to solve mm-hmm. for these problems. That will be a great indicator to see, are we, one, communicating this correctly to this cohort? And then two, it, is there something here, right? If we just kind of crypto pill them, uh, it, let's see what that what that churn rate is or how many people are actually using that technology in order to be a medium to reach their goals. So I'm going to keep a close eye on this one. I love, love seeing these outbound type of DAOs that are going to be the difference between, again, like they said, Web3 being viewed as this this force for good or this force for dividing and Mm -hmm. making things more inequitable. Yes, yes, totally. I I am definitely personally going to uh, be applying for for the champion role. So I encourage anyone that's listening who's uh, passionate about social change, passionate about getting folks through that Web3 membrane and looking at really the deepest potential of the space for for wealth creation, sustainable, equitable wealth creation to look into this for sure. 
I'm constantly telling myself like, don't join another DAO, don't join another <laughs> DAO, don't join another. And then this stuff like this comes up. I'm like, yeah. oh, yep. it's so hard. Yeah, uh, I, I yep, want to yep. support in any way I can, whether it's time or money or whatever. But um, such such a good project yep. to look at. I encourage all the listeners to do a deeper dive afterwards. Um, we are going to transition into buzzworthy news. And there was nothing more buzzworthy over the past two to three weeks than the Constitution DAO. I don't think that's going to be a surprise to anyone who spent any amount of time on Twitter. Uh, There were some days where literally every other post on Twitter was about the Constitution DAO, which Mm -hmm. got a little annoying at times. But I think overall, uh, it's a milestone for Web3 in general. So for those not aware, I'll, I'll give the TLDR and what this was. So this, uh, in a way, kind of started as a meme of just, it pops up every day, right? Like, hey, we should create a DAO that does this. We should create a DAO that does this. And it seems like one of those where people are just sitting around a table or in Twitter and just be like, hey, what if we created a DAO and we bought the Constitution? And it just starts as like a funny joke, and then they just run with it. And this is essentially how this got together. They said, we're creating a DAO. Our goal is to buy one of the 13 copies of the Constitution that was going to be auctioned off at Sotheby's. And they basically said, let's pool together resources. Our first goal is going to be $20 million. So we have a seat at the table to actually bid on this thing. And it got so much traction, so many people donating to it. Uh, Over the long run, they ended up raising $47 million, over $47 million. And they actually stopped the counter (laughs) officially online at $40 million because they didn't want to show how much money they actually had because all you're doing is raising the price of the document. (laughs) And it was this just crazy mimetic power going on. Everyone's just getting absolutely psyched about it. It was the only thing people were talking about. And of course, the auction comes up. They're doing well. There was actually a uh, a misprint. I, I forget who released it, but someone released that the Constitution DAO actually won the bid. And it turns out later on that that was, that was wrong. I, I don't actually knew, know how that, that came about, that someone misprinted that. But it ended up coming back that um, Ken, I think it's Ken Griffins, the CEO, the founder and CEO of Citadel, actually won the bid at $43 million. And People might say, oh, okay, that's under $47 million. Why didn't they win? There's a bunch of different taxes and, um, mm. and fees and like transportation costs and things like that. Um, so it was so funny because Ken was, the, uh, was in the crosshairs of the internet for Wall Street bets with this whole GameStop thing because it was said that he was the one kind of tipping off, um, uh, what's the name of it? I'm blanking, Robin Hood. They were t- tipping off Robinhood that they need to actually shut things down so that wow. they weren't as 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 hurt by that whole mm. just basically people rising up the GameStop stock in mm-hmm. order to mm-hmm. screw over the people with short positions. Mm-hmm. So already in the the not so good graces of a community <laughs> that was largely in the crypto Ooh. space as well. So it's just poetic that he ended up being the one that stopped <laughs> this whole this whole DAO and. It was actually, I mean, I was glad to see the the tweets just kind of ease up on my Twitter feed selfishly, but honestly, mm-hmm. it was a little bit sad to see afterwards just how demoralized people were because there was so much energy behind this. I'm, ta- mm-hmm. I'm like, mimetic energy, mm-hmm. mimetic power is the perfect word for it. It was just the memes coming out about it. There's all this thing about Nicolas Cage and from the, the, the <laughs> no, Declaration <laughs> of Independence, stealing Declaration of Independence. I mean, it was... Uh, 
it was crazy how much energy was behind this. Um, and, and, and what ends up happening is they're, they're talking and saying, how do we return the funds? Like, do we do something with these funds? So there are talks that they're going to be doing something later on, but, uh, for Mm -hmm. now, um, didn't win the bid. And the, the question here is like, what can we learn from this? Because this was such a huge thing. I'm always thinking like, what are the milestones that when people look back, like people look back and they say, what are the major milestones of the internet? This might be one of those things when we look back on Web3 that this was a defining moment mm. in, uh, in Web3's history here. Because mm-hmm. a, a win, I would say for it, is that this got a ton of mainstream press. And now there, there's, there's lots of examples like this now popping up where DAOs are getting in the mainstream press and people are asking like, what the hell are these things? And obviously everyone has a different definition, so it's difficult to define. But we're getting closer and closer to DAOs becoming into the the, the the, the spotlight here so that people can actually go out and learn more about them and saying like, how are these entities raising so much money? That could be an aha moment for to get people down the rabbit hole. So in my opinion, that's a win. Um, I think the other thing that they really did right here is, like I mentioned, mimetic power. There was so much energy, so much positive energy towards this. Just, just got people mobilized to donate towards this thing. So I almost feel like this was something where they ha- they started with an idea and they committed to it. And then afterwards, they figured out how to actually do it. And that is such an important thing in the DAO space is you almost have to commit to something but, and then figure out how to do it rather than vice versa. Um, I think this will get a little bit more into our, our next topic here when it comes to DAO leadership, where action is definitely more valued in this space, in this unstructured space versus putting together a perfect plan and executing it. Because the thing is, a lot of people in the space don't necessarily know what they're doing. We're trying to discover it through action. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. great example of they just said, hey, let's just try this. And then they got so much interest behind it that I could kind of feel from their end, they're just like an oh shit moment. We got to actually do this. We got to mm-hmm. figure out a way to buy this. Um, so, so, so much good, I think, came from that. And, and it, it'll be a good case study for other projects to say, how can we hire... Uh, harness this mimetic power, this this energy, to drive our community towards this singular goal. I mean, it mm-hmm. was it was crazy how many people and how fervent people were to mobilize behind this singular goal of just buying the constitution. Um, so I, I think it could be a good case study too for other DAOs trying to buy IRL items. So Pleaser DAO is a good example. They bought the Wu Tang album. Um, that was four million dollars. That was. That was a high-profile win and buy. Krausehaus is another obvious one. They're trying to buy an NBA team, which is going to be a lot more complicated than yes. buying a de- uh, constitution, which yes. you can just loan out to museums. Like, how do you actually manage the team afterwards? You got to figure mm-hmm. all of that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, good use case here for these other DAOs trying to buy IRL items. Um, it was it was just a ton of fun to watch, and I would not be surprised if a lot more DAOs pop up and we see more of these just absolute waves of people going after these these kind of milestones that would really put DAOs on the map. Yes. And I we, we spoke about this earlier, um, Alex. I think it would be great to kind of jam on this a bit with the community. But there was this very existential question that we were struggling with over at Forefront while the Constitution DAO was, was getting off the ground. And we saw how quickly a capital swarm could be organized for buying a copy of the constitution. Like you said, this mimetic power, just the the sheer awesomeness of it. And and the question is, is it possible to build up 
similar enthusiasm, passion, and virality for social impact projects, for public mm. goods projects. Mm. You know, and a, a colleague of mine pointed out that, you know, in, in its entire history, the Gitcoin grants has never seen such a magnitude of fundraising as that, um, as that actually achieved by the Constitution DAO in, within just 24 hours. Um, so again, this this I'm I'm fascinated by by the, the sheer mimetic power that we saw in this instance. And I, I remember when I was jamming with uh, my colleagues over at Forefront, I, we were just, I was very keen to just explore why there was so much yeah. um, energy around this. I mean, it, it you know, it, some people were saying, well, the constitution, that's just, a, it's, a, it's a crap piece of document. It's like, it's something that we should be ashamed <laughs> of, um, you know? And so I was thinking to myself, well, then why were people, why were such an overwhelming amount of people really keen on having it? And I, I don't know. It could really be of a moment right now. Obviously, we're we're in the middle of a very um, trying, challenging times for all of humanity. For the United States of America, we're really at a crossroads in terms of our uh, political community life being so divisive and and polarized. And so I don't know why, but I'm I'm very keen to kind of dig a little bit into uh, what does give rise to this sheer mimetic power. It's it's almost just like you you really can't anticipate it, you can't plan for it. I like know. You said that they were it comes out of nowhere. By, so it comes out of nowhere, <laughs> and it's like what what is it that just like got under people's you know skin and was like I must do this. I, I, I mean, again, it it it, it it's. Um, the novelty, I just have to say that it, it, maybe it's the novelty. It's not just of the moment. It's the United States of America. It's like the founding document of the United States of America. Um, I mean, how many times can you say, I mean, you can have like a bored ape NFT in your collection, but if you say that you have a copy of the constitution, the U S constitution, I mean, that's just like, that's next level shit. Right. So yeah. I don't know if it was just that quote unquote shallow or if it was something deeper. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm just, but I, I am very, I'm always kind of trying to put on my hat and say, you know, can we actually look at what happened with constitution down and transfer some of these learnings as to how they organized and that mimetic power over to social goods projects. And I don't know. I honestly think that it's something akin to, and I'm completely jamming, I'm riffing so bad right here, but I'm like, you know, there's that difference between like music, the power of music and the power of like literature. And mm. you can just say generally there's like the power of art. But I mean, to, and, and the, the example that I always bring up is um, if you've, remember back in the days before the pandemic where we actually went to the, the movie theaters? Like, <laughs> yes. So I, I would, you would go to the movie theaters, imagine yourself there and you're listening to like a trailer of all the movies that are about to come out. And this always happened to me like invariably as I'm sitting there watching the trailers and I'm usually like not impressed. Like I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, movies are getting worse and worse. <laughs> but invariably as I'm sitting there listening to uh, watching the trailer and listening to the music, because at this point, Hollywood has been in existence for so long. Compu composers, uh, soundtrack uh, musicians, I mean, they know exactly which buttons to push. So at certain points in the trailer, the music will swell and it'll get super loud and the orchestra kicks in. And it doesn't matter what I'm thinking, even if I'm thinking this trailer sucks, this movie is boring, <laughs> I, I will get like, you know, I'll get goosebumps. I will have a physiological yeah. reaction to the music. So that that's kind of what I'm very, very in a messily, sort of messy, clumsy sort of way. I'm comparing almost like this, you don't really have a choice in being physiological. <laughs> <laughs> logically affected by music. 
Is is that kind of what a meme is? Whereas like the power of literature <laughs> I love that. is so much more like you have to work really hard at it. You know, like a poem, a poem can give me goosebumps, but you really have to live with it. You really have to get into it. You have to own it. Yeah. It's not like you can just be like, oh my God, a poem came out of nowhere and just like bulldoze me. Like it doesn't work like that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of thinking like, even though I want to have like the social impact project mimetic power, I don't know if that can actually do that. I, I almost think like social impact public goods is like literature and you really have to understand it and you really have to live with it and you really have to dig deep to get that goosebumps. But like the the constitution, like that meme power is something that you can completely get taken over by. I don't know. What do you think? I That is such a good analogy is you almost can't help it. You have a physiological yeah. response. And <laughs> that's, I mean, and the same thing with the constitution doc. I'm sure there were people there who were just like, oh my gosh, this is so stupid. And yet it's just, (laughs) they can't help but just constantly search about it and keep researching it. It's just like pulls you in, pulls you in. Because there's something sexy about it, right? It's like, oh, I'm Nicolas Cage (laughs) in National Treasure here when there's just someone behind a a screen looking at memes all day on Twitter. Like it's it's crazy how it can suck you in. And it's like, how do you kind of make that sexy for the, the social justice projects and for the equitable pieces where it's like, we're trying to give Web3 a really good name and it mm-hmm. almost becomes a lot more serious and white collar and not as exciting, even though if the, the mission is better and, and a, people, a, lot of vi- a lot of people vibe with the mission, it's it's not as like sexy or fun as something else where it's just like, I just threw like one ETH that we're going to buy the constitution. Yeah. And it's like really simple, really easy to get behind that mission. It's so simple. Yes. It's sexy. So it's like, how do you bring that energy to something that's actually going to like mm-hmm. make a difference in the world? You could argue there that in the long run, that could make a difference in the world because it gives visibility to DAOs. But in, in terms of the actual mission, how do you make it so that people mobilize around something? You, you can harness that mimetic power for something that maybe isn't as accessible or seems a little bit more serious. Um, it's like, this is a very serious problem we're dealing with. It's uh, how do you bring fun to that? How do you have a sense of humor about it? How do you get people to get really, really excited about it versus just say, we we need to do this and it's really serious? Um, I don't necessarily have an answer for that. Um, But I think there are lessons (laughs) here from the Constitution, Dow, that you you might be able to pull some findings there and say, "I I can apply this aspect to my project to get the community to rally around this. Um, and it's not, it, it might not just be that we need a mission that's sexy. You could in, introduce certain aspects to the, to the DAO, to the community to say, this is how we're going to bring this bulldoze, bulldozer of power here that's going to snowball and get people to mobilize around this goal. So like, how do we market it? So it's just, it's a, yeah. it's a lot of really, really, really good marketing. So some lessons there, interested mm-hmm. to see how people, what the takeaways are there. Yes. So shall we hop into the philosophy bombshells, Alex? Let's do it. So um, Caroline and I were talking about this before. And one thing that came up, so Rafa from Forefront, he's also in Cabin Dow um, and a bunch of different DAOs. He wrote a really great mirror post on leadership in DAOs. And we'll have the link to that in the show notes here. Um, but, but I, I wanted to cover some major findings here because I, I think the way we should think about leadership in DAOs is inherently different from the Web2 world. So we go back to our examples here. Are we bringing in Web2 
uh, first principles into the Web3 world? Or are we reverting back to first principles and and saying, we're going to start from scratch. We're not going to bring our old paradigms from the Web2 world and say, we're just going to apply this to the Web3 world. That's not the, that's not necessarily how we're going to use this new technology and where the, the crazy innovations are going to happen. It, the, the future is going to look so different from what we, what we see now that it's almost stupid to predict what's going to happen in five, 10 years. It's just going to be so completely different from what we know. And it's not just going to be, oh, art is going to be on the blockchain or this thing that we're familiar with here, it's just going to be on the blockchain. The, the experience is going to be completely, completely different. So the way that we run these organizations needs to be completely different. So we have to think about it differently. And leadership is one of those things where you might think that from decentralization, it's like, oh, leadership isn't as important. But the thing is, just because there isn't a CEO of the DAO doesn't mean that leadership isn't necessary. Leadership is needed in any type of organization. But the type of leadership is going to be completely different. So when you look back in history, I would say there's two main leadership styles that you really start to hear about. And the first one is you kind of have that authoritative, whether benevolent or malevolent, um, kind of strong-handed leader, leads from the front, mobilizes a lot of people, has a clear vision, and a lot of people around them execute that vision. So like war generals, you think Genghis Khan, you think all these war generals from Athens, from Sparta, um, Alexander the Great, leaders like that, that are like that strong-handed authoritative, they are leading the charge, everyone's following, everyone's executing the vision. The other type of leadership style, I would say, is on the other end of the spectrum, there's probably lots of other ones within, in between, but it's more the servant leader type of style. So you think of people like Nelson Mandela, like Martin Luther King, Jesus Christ, those type of leaders, where instead of them being this strong-willed person who's going to the forefront, everyone's following them, it's more of like, how can I uplift the people around me? And both that leadership style and the the first one I talked about have been successful in different ways throughout history. But when it comes to DAOs, and we think of like, how do we how do we do a bottom-up type of approach? That second leadership style is more akin to that bottom-up approach. And what, what we see in the DAO space, we talked a little bit about this before, it is so unstructured. People don't necessarily know what they're doing a lot of times. And mm-hmm. they, they might seem like they know what they're doing, but every, we're, we're building the ship as we go. We're trying to, we're not only building Web3, but we're discovering Web3. So you need a leadership style that is akin to that environment. And in order to do that, you need a lot of different people who can think for themselves and kind of be micro leaders among them. So if you have this one single leader, strong-willed and is executing on a plan, well, there's a very good chance that that plan is wrong. Again, we're discovering Web3. So if you're just executing Mm -hmm. on that one plan, you're kind of moving in a serial way. Whereas if you have a leader that can empower a bunch of different people around them, say 10 people, now all of those 10 people end up becoming leaders who are then empowering people around them. And it, 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 it builds this kind of tree of people who are all trying to make decisions for themselves, be biased towards action, and start to discover the different parts of Web3. It's creating this chain, this, this web of people who are all solving for that. So the leaders who are successful in DAOs are the ones who can bring people in empower them to make their own decisions, empower them to not necessarily give them directions that they can execute on, but say, here's, here's the objective here. I trust you to figure out a way to get to that objective. And what you see a lot of times here is 
people will rise to the responsibility that they're given. And this is just so contrary to what we see a lot of times in Web 2, which is you have a boss, the boss hands you a bunch of paperwork and he says, this is what needs to be done. This is the way we need to do it. We just need someone to execute on it. And there's no wonder that everyone gets burned out and feels unfulfilled because their job could just be replaced by someone else who just gets to execute that vision. And in some Mm -hmm. ways that can be effective in getting to a certain outcome. My opinion, I don't think it's very effective to have a a very fulfilled workforce, a very creative workforce. But if you're in a very structured environment, it can work. You can get to the outcomes that you need. But the same way that the industrial way of working did not translate well over to the internet age, especially (laughs) that is not going to translate well over to the DAO space because it's even more unstructured. So this, this can be difficult for people to adapt to this new unstructured environment, but it's up to these leaders to bring people in and say, and, and kind of reshift their paradigm and say, you don't have to just come in here and be told what to do. I mean, you have a lot of people coming in saying like, where do I go? What DAOs do I join? What, what do I do when I get to DAOs? They're asking all these questions because they're used to being given explicit instructions and directions on here's exactly what you do, just execute these different steps. But in reality, it's like, you go into a DAO whose mission you believe and you tell the DAO what needs to be done and then you do it and you show that work. And that's a great example of creating that web. Everyone's trying different things. Everyone's making their own decisions and they're being empowered to act in that way. And a good DAO leader is going to be one that facilitates that environment internally and empowers people to do that and gives them the confidence to start working towards those those different goals and executing on those different things, but not giving them explicit directions on how to do that. It's a very different style. Rafa's post goes into a lot of different details here. Definitely, definitely recommend it. But Caroline, I'm curious on you obviously being a very prominent DAO leader in Forefront, like how this resonated with you, what specific takeaways you had. Yeah, it, it resonates very powerfully. I'm, lo- I'm looking at a quote that I'm picking out in this great article by Rafa, who's now a uh, the Dow lead at Mirror. So he's, um, they're so lucky to have him and just so excited to be, uh, to be working in this space uh, and be able to like peep over my shoulder and, and see uh, people like Rafa just uh, creating and just joyfully creating um, a- along the sort of uh, pathways that they're inspired to explore. Because it's, it's, it's literally, it's this sort of uh, fruitful um, cross pollination, you know, reading each other's tweets, reading each other's articles, watching each other build. I mean, this is really the part of the exhilarating, uh, the exhilarating aspect of being in this space right now. But this one excerpt in particular uh, really resonated. Um, I'm not sure about you, Rafa writes, but as a community member, it's apparent that these leaders don't behave as traditional directors. If we look through the Twitter timeline, other labels emerge for these DAO leaders, stewards gardeners, shapers, advocates. And so I love this passage, Alex, because it reminds us that um, this, this, this other form of leadership that you've pointed out in contrast to the strong-handed authoritarian, you know, command and control, it, it is, we are, we're very much, we're not building something mechanistically. We're not, it's not, it's not sort of this additive, you know, one plus one equals two. 
It is something that we are helping to shape and bring into being, but this force that we are helping to bring into being is largely, we have to admit, and this is the beautiful part of it and the challenging part of it, but it is a force that is out of our control. And so you you think about uh, stewards, gardeners, shapers, um, you have this image essentially of someone that is essentially a servant to the force of life and vitality that is flowing through them. And at the most, they can set up, like a gardener, a fruitful context for life to bloom and blossom. That's the most that they can do. But the other things, weeds, weather, all sorts of other things that are completely out of their control, the organic growth of of the plants that they're planting, this is out of their control. They, They have no control over this. And so I love this reminder that we are quite limited in what we do as leaders. And it is not a additive building mechanistic. Now I am building a system, something like a car engine. No, it's you're dealing with human beings. When we ask ourselves, what is the life in a DAO? What are what what is the nature of vibes? That that word that we all love. But essentially, vibes is life. Vibes is that that flow of uh, that flow and that feeling of vitality and ease and harmony and joy that we feel when we're active in something and completely immersed in the activity for its own sake. And so, this question of how do you cultivate that life? This is not you're, you're not you're not like a scientist in a laboratory, you know, uh, putting mm-hmm. uh, uh, pouring things into a into a retort. This is this is literally you working with human consciousness. You're working with human energy. You're working with human aspirations. And so that's the thing that resonates with me uh, very clearly from the article. The other thing is uh, another passage I picked out helps us act in the unknown. Rafa is saying that Tao leaders help us act in the unknown. And to act, we need to make sense of this new complexity and chaos. No one, not even the current leaders themselves, know what best practices look like. And so this is just a follow-on to everything that, Alex, you said so beautifully. It's like, we, you're, no one's an expert. If they say they're an expert, they're lying. And in this sort of Tao context, you cannot have a single point of failure. First of all, it's impossible. One person is not going to be able to have a, a broad enough, deep enough um, purview of everything that is happening in this Tao ecosystem because of its complexity, because of its emergence. So they really have no choice but to empower other human beings who are close to the ground, close to the action to say, yes, you should perceive exactly what it is that you're perceiving. Trust in your observation. Trust in your intuition. I trust you to act. I empower you to act. And this reminds me of a story that um, that was told me by Chase uh, Chapman, and she's one of the beautiful lighthouses in this space. But she was telling me how she came about uh, to be the co-lead of the uh, Women in Index and Diversity Initiative over at Index Coop. Uh, and it was essentially, you know, she was speaking with the lead uh, of their business development um, circle, and she was quite surprised to find that after having this conversation with the BD lead, that all of a sudden she had a tremendous amount of ownership over this yeah. initiative from the start. She she literally thought she was just jamming with this lead about, oh, this is important. Let's do this in diversity. And, and literally the next moment she turned around, this business development lead was saying, okay, but what are you going to do? And, you know, the BD lead even went on Twitter and tweeted that Chase was now leading the initiative. So <laughs> she was just like, she was so surprised at how much ownership she was given right from the start, Alex. So it wasn't about, like you said, web two traditional world, prove yourself. 
first, right? You've got a probationary period. If you're a good boy and girl, then maybe you get a little bit more money. Mm -hmm. Maybe you get a little bit more agency right from the beginning. This lead at Index Coop, uh, and Chase described him as coming from the military, but he had taken his leadership skills from from many other experiences and cohered them into this very powerful way of, of saying, yes, you can take ownership of this, of handing off the baton. And I think that that is a very powerful uh, gesture, uh, Alex, this, this this sort of this servant leadership, this handing off of the baton. I think the, the gesture behind that is essentially seeing someone. And it's so powerful when you truly see someone, but not just seeing someone, but seeing the potential in them. Yeah. Because you can see someone and I can see Alex and I can see that he drives a nice Maserati. That, that That's not going to change the world. The seeing of a someone that I'm talking about is looking past everything that they've done. And this is what we're hearing about in the Dow space. It's freeing because no one cares who you are. No one asks for a resume. No one does a, a credit check on you. So it's this act of seeing someone, but seeing the potential that lies in them and then handing over that ownership and saying, I believe in you. This is a very powerful cultivator of life. This is a very power cultivator of motivation, of love. And so that human being that you have now empowered feels like, yes, I can be this person and I am going to step up. And then this creativity is unleashed. And that is the emergent power that has its locus in human beings, in human aspiration. And so this brings us back to these, these very important labels. We're, we're, not, we're not leaders anymore, but we're stewards. We're gardeners. We're sculptors. And, and so I, I, love, I just love the entire article, and I love how Rafa uh, frames this. And for the record, I don't drive a Maserati. I drive a Toyota Corolla. <laughs> But it works Damn, perfectly I love for those me. Corollas too. Yes, gotta gotta love it. Good gotta love it. Japanese engineering. Yes. gotta love it. But here's a great example here of uh, non Web three specific reading. Uh, I know yep. a takeaway that mm-hmm. we had from a previous episode was it as difficult as it is, take conscious, very purposeful breaks away from from Twitter, from Mirror, from just bang your head against the wall and just trying to learn as much as possible about Web3. And I know that's very difficult to do to pull yourself away from that space because it's changing so much. And it feels like sometimes you come back a few hours later and three years has gone by worth of material. Um, but it's it's best for you to take a step back and mm-hmm. to pull in different concepts that you can then inject back into Web3. I, I think everyone has a responsibility there to say, this is not just a technology. This is not just a, a, a singular way to solve for this problem. We need a very holistic approach. We need lots of different uh, perspectives here. And when it comes to leadership, if you are already in a leadership position or you're thinking of starting a DAO or you're rising in the ranks in a DAO, I highly recommend that you don't read any kind of business books about leadership. Again, that's coming from a Web2 perspective and those principles Start from first principles. Learn from the direct source. If you can pick up a biography about some of the most prominent servant leaders in the world, just observe the way that they interacted with people, that they uplifted people. And if you read that original source and you're not even necessarily taking notes about, oh, I should do this, I should do that. Just read it, enjoy it, learn from them. And when you come back into the DAO space, you'll be surprised how much it changes your perspective about how to approach certain problems. So 
That I would say is our takeaway here when it comes to leadership. Try to identify mentors throughout history who are more on the servant leader side because it's going to be a hell of a lot more effective in the DAO space when we're approaching it from a bottom-up perspective rather than the top-down, authoritarian, hard-handed, uh, you know, follow my lead and execute what I say. And it's, it's a lot easier to just say, I'm just going to hand down instructions and you execute it than it is to say, I believe in you, I trust you, here are our objectives, I trust you to figure out a way to get to those objectives. It's way harder to do that. So learn from others throughout history. Uh, read Rafa's article. It's really, really great stuff. Um, could be the difference between um, something building something that lives way beyond you mm-hmm. versus something that only lives with your direct hand on it. Yes, and uh, you know, before we before we say goodbye, I want to do two shameless plugs from from forefront because I think they're <laughs> they're related. Uh, so inspired by this conversation that we had uh, together, Alex and I on on the pod about divergent exploration. Uh, at Forefront, we have spun up our very first season of a book club. Uh, it's not related to Web3, not related to crypto. It's called Think Again uh, by Adam Grant. And it is exactly about the power of knowing what you don't know and being comfortable with that and having the courage to sit and be still in this sort of unknown, this phase of being on the unknown, being in the emergence, and how exactly are we able to leverage um, this power as actors, as creative agents in the world. So that's the first thing. And truly, everyone is welcome to join. We are now in the off-season. So we encourage anyone out there who is interested in joining and exploring this community, just join our Discord. And these off-season events, um, they're free for everyone uh, to come and participate. And the second uh, shameless plug is, again, we are in the off-season Uh, I think further on, I think it's mid-November, early mid-November, we're going to be doing workshops with the community and that includes you. So if you'd like to join in, come on through the Discord, participate, but we will be doing specific workshops on what it means to, um, to design a DAO. And so very much exactly what we were talking about a couple minutes ago, these words of stewards and, and gardeners and working with life and consciousness and, and human emotion and aspirations, we're going to be exploring this uh, in, in the off-season. So we encourage any any anyone out there that's listening to this and that feels interested or intrigued, please come through our Discord. We'd love to have you participate. Um, and now I'm going to close out with this quote that jumped out at me. This is another quote from uh, the Rafa Rafa's article uh, from Deborah Ancona. Uh, with the MIT Sloan School of Management. So she says, sense making calls for courage because while there is a deep human need to understand and know what is going on in a changing world, illuminating the change is often a lonely and unpopular task. So I'd like to close with that quote, a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a riddle there. And I think um, it's powerful to sometimes leave things hanging in a question so that we can yes. continue to live with them. Right, Alex? Open for interpretation. Open for go. interpretation. Exactly right. So with that, my friends, we bid you goodbye. We hope that everyone has a beautiful uh, holiday week if you're in the U.S. coming up on uh, Thanksgiving. And we will see you at the next bi-weekly roundup. Bye-bye, fam. See you then. Hey fam, thanks for listening to the Forefront Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so please visit us on Twitter at Forefront underscore or on the web at Forefront.market. You can come through our Discord too, anytime, night or day. We'll see you next time.